The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis and Ann are speaking with former Majority Leader and Senator from South Dakota, Tom Daschle. Last year, Senator Daschle was appointed to the Board of Advisors for Northern Star, now known as Clever Leaves, and has since used his political might in retirement to advance access to medical cannabis for patients across the country. In addition to his work with Clever Leaves, Senator Daschle is the chair of the board of directors for the Center for American Progress and vice chair for the National Democratic Institute. Senator Daschle serves on the board for the Edward M. Kennedy Institute and the LBJ Foundation. He's also a member of the Public Health and Management Executive Council at the Harvard School of Public Health and the Council of Foreign Relations. This episode was recorded at the 2019 Marijuana Business Daily Conference, so you'll hear some of the sounds of the conference in the background. Now on to Lewis and Ann's conversation with former Senator Tom Daschle. And we have a unique opportunity, distinct pleasure. Um, we are talking with U.S. Senator Tom Daschle. Um, who so far the rock star of the conference, from what I understand. Well, maybe exaggerated, <laughs> but thank you, Lewis and Ann. Good to be with you. It's a Great real to pleasure. Have you here. So you just gave a keynote here at MJ BizCon. Can you give us a two-minute summary of what you spoke for 20 minutes about? Well, I think the essence of what my message was was that, first of all, we've seen enormous growth, and that growth in the industry has come about because there's been a change in attitude. And in many ways, I'm the personification of that change in attitude. I was raised at a time when... when um, uh, cannabis and, and marijuana was viewed very differently. It was an era of Ronald Reagan and the war on drugs and, you know, a deep suspicion about foreign substances. That's all changed. And as it's changed, so has the prospect for legalization and the real possibility that we're going to change lives with the applications that we now know cannabis can provide in healthcare, especially. That's my deep uh, interest and in, in it's what I care the most about is health care and the opportunities here are just immense. There has been, um, as you said, this, um, this unbelievable change in, in public attitudes, but there has not been a change at the FDA. There has not been a change at the Department of Agriculture. What is it going to take for the FDA to start to allow for real testing, real clinical trials, not just at the University of Mississippi, but, you know, at UCLA, the University of South Dakota, you know, what, what has to happen? Well, that's a great question, Lewis. I, I, you know, you, you two both know the answer better than I, but I would say, first and foremost, the real solution is, is descheduling. It's taking it out of Schedule One of the Controlled Substance Act. But even short of that, Congress has now offered many pieces of legislation to broaden the medical research. DEA is finally making some movement in that regard. FDA has a long way to go, but it's going to take congressional pressure. There are now 70 bills pending that would uh, fall short of com complete descheduling, but at the same time move the ball forward in regulatory and statutory ways. So I think progress is evident. It's just not as palpable and tangible as, as I wish it were. 
you were in the Senate for a long time, both as majority and minority leader. Um, you look at Senator McConnell, who is now the majority leader. He has never really been an advocate of any cannabis legislation. You know, the hemp bill passed, the farm bill passed, you know, and it was very self-serving because he's from Kentucky. Is it going to be political pressure, you know, looking at a race like Susan Collins or Cory Gardner's challenges that they may have for being reelected? Is it going to be policy pressure? What is it going to take to get McConnell to actually bring the States Act, the Safe Banking Act, or, or any of those 70 bills that are in, um, in Congress to a vote in the Senate? Well, it is going to take uh, people. There's a common expression in Washington. When politicians feel the heat, they see the light. <laughs> and there's is that the need to light feel the heat. Put it right in front of them. <laughs> exactly. There's a need to feel the heat so that they see the light. And I think the light in this context is is going to be up to the voters. The voters are expressing themselves in state referenda all over the country. And the voters continue to... One of my other messages today was to this audience was that recognize the importance of engagement now. To all your podcast listeners, I would say that there's never been a more important time to contact your congressman, to let them know how you feel about the regulatory and the statutory infrastructure around cannabis. But the more they feel the heat, the more we're going to see the light. Can you talk about, you've said um, that you are for rescheduling, but not for federal legalization. That's very nuanced. Can you just talk about well, why I, you feel that basically way? Basically, my feeling is that we just need more. You know, we have been so void of really good research. And what I want to see is a lot more research. The more research we see, the more encouraged and more confident I am that we can go all the way. But I want to see more evidence. I want to see more good information. I don't want to base this just on conjecture or rumor or some, you know, uh, some assertion. I really want to see science and medicine play a central role in how we progress. And I think that's going to be possible. You joined um, the advisory board of Northern Swan, which is now Clever Leaves. What was it about this company that said, Tom, I can't miss this opportunity? Well, there are two things. Uh, to be fully candid with you, one of the reasons is Kyle Detweller is a South Dakotan. And uh, Kyle uh, uh, has a photo of me when he was in high school uh, and I was in Congress. And uh, so it started with that connection. But the, the more thoughtful and more substantive answer is that I really believe Clever Leaves is, is sort of the epitome. They're one of the, the companies that personify where this industry is headed. They are very conscientious. They're very deferential to current federal regulation. They want to be compliant. They want to do everything right. But at the same time, they want to produce high quality cannabis uh, and deliver those products uh, in health and wellness to people all over the world. That is exciting to me. That's what I want to see in, in regard to my whatever contribution from a healthcare perspective I can make. And if I can help them do that, um, I'll be very happy. If you were in the Senate today um, and part of the Democratic caucus, what would you be counseling your, your peers on how to work um, with the, the, the gentleman on the other side of the aisle. How can we actually get them to see the light? 
It's a great question, and I, I, I think there are several things. First of all, we've got to stay focused. We have a lot of supporters but few champions right now, and what we need are more champions, more people willing to devote some real energy to this cause. Well, Cor Cory Booker's been out there. And Cory Booker's been out there, and, and for that matter, uh, Senator Gardner has, too, mm -hmm. to a certain extent. And so we see evidence of bipartisanship. It's got to be the name Corey, we just, right? We really has to, yeah, that, maybe that's the secret is elect more Corys. But but I, I, I do believe that we're, we're uh, beginning to see more bipartisanship. But there has to be leadership, commitment, and champions. When you go home to South Dakota, what, what do your constituents, your former constituents, think about your participation. I mean, it's historically a pretty conservative state. Um, I don't even know program. their they don't have a Does medical program, program, right? So, uh, are, are people saying you for, are, are they crazy? asking What's you for, for yeah. like, a little extra on the side? <laughs> no, I, 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 you're right. South Dakota doesn't have a program yet, and uh, I, I think I do think that the voters are ahead of the politicians in South Dakota because as I travel the state, I'm always encouraged by the comment I get, and I haven't seen any recent polling data, but uh, I, I, I'm quite sure that South Dakota is no different than the rest of the country. Well over 50%, 62% nationally support legalization, and I, I'm quite sure that the majority of South Dakotans do too. Can we talk politics for a second? Sure. You know, we work with uh, many players in this space, and one of them is a company called Forefront, and their president is a guy named Chris Crane, who is an unbelievably astute um, advocate in the industry. And he thinks that President Trump next year will make some move, whether to by, by executive order to reschedule or to push for, you know, some sort of legalization to steal the cannabis um, thunder thunder from the <laughs> Democrats. Do you, I mean, you're, you are as astute a, a student of politics as there is in the country. Do you think that's a realistic assessment of, of what El Presidente might do? I think that that possibility really exists. I, I, I think the president is determined to do whatever he can to be reelected. And, you know, consistency in position is not <laughs> one of his strengths. And so I think that it's really... Uh, very, very possible that uh, that he could do something dramatic like that. Uh, he knows the numbers as well as anybody does. I think those around him politically see the advantage it could create for his candidacy. So I, I think it's uh, there's a real possibility that, that that scenario is is one that you'll see. Do you think that, I mean, it could get lost too, where this is December 11th, right? And so the Democrats issued you know, their articles of impeachment. Like, do you think that, you know, this is just an issue that might get lost and it, you know, the 2020 election comes and goes and we're still literally where we are? Well, that's a possibility too. I think, I think unless we do get more presidential leadership and, and frankly, more leadership. Well, in Vladimir the, Putin just has to tell him what to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> that might be a real catalyst. You never know. Russia, if you're but, listening. Exactly. Um, but I, I, I think that, that what we, what we need is, is high visibility um, leaders who are willing to to take that step and to be much more vocally and visibly supportive. We don't have that quite to the degree we need it yet. When that happens, things the, the dam will break. You were in the Senate when President Clinton was president. Um, 
Why do you think that there has been such a massive change in public opinion about cannabis from 20, 25 years ago to today? Because consumption rates have not changed. Consumption rates are the same, but the public opinion when it comes to legalization for medical is over 90% nationally. For adult use, it's over 60% nationally. But when you polled back when you were in the Senate, it was nowhere near that. What changed? One word, information. I think there's so much more information available now about the advantages and about the truth around cannabis. I mean, cannabis, uh, you two are, are the experts, but I'm, you know, cannabis goes back thousands of years. And um, you know, there's even stories that George Washington would uh, had 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 had. Uh, uh, I didn't know that. Some experience around cannabis. That's how we oh, crossed yeah. the Delaware. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. it was a dispensary on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's more information, more truth about the, 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 the real value. And, and I think anecdotally, just so many incredible stories about the applications that cannabis now brings medically and for health and wellness. And as that information becomes better known, and as more stories are understood and and, uh, and, 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 and fully appreciated, I think that the attitudes change. Around CBD, does it worry you that, that, the, that these products are being ascribed miraculous qualities um, and that people are saying, oh, it cured my cancer, I was blind and can see, and you know, does that worry you? I think we have to be worried about the snake oil salesmen out there. They're, you know, that's an age-old problem around all kinds of products, and, and uh, especially medical products. So we have to be concerned about that. And that's why I say uh, we were talking earlier about the need for more research and more evidence and, and more science. Um, descheduling would allow for that, and that's why it's so critical. But we have to be concerned and, and very skeptical about some of the assertions being made. Uh, so can we go back in time a little bit? So you've left the Senate before Northern Swan, I guess, what what was the time that cannabis became on your radar such that you felt the need to do something? Well, I served on the Veterans Committee the entire time I served in Congress, all 26 years. And so I've had uh, enormous empathy for veterans and, and their there are many, many challenges. I was, my legislation in the House way back in 1982 was the first PTSD legislation that was offered. And so PTSD has been a huge issue. Veterans depression has been an issue. All the veterans challenges. Um, I used to say that new wars brought new wounds and those wounds sometimes weren't visible. There were a lot of veterans who came back from Iraq and Afghanistan with those new wounds. and. The more I looked into it, the more I became appreciative of what those new wounds were all about, the more I realized that there may be a very consequential role for cannabis. And so that was my new awareness, and that's really what opened the door for me to other applications around health especially. Well, there was an argument made that there's such high levels of use of cannabis amongst soldiers in Vietnam because they were self-medicating um, at the time. Exactly. And, and that, you know, they came back and they couldn't have access to that, so they, they devolved to other drugs, and I'm not talking you know, psychedelics, but harder drugs, whether they be cocaine or heroin, but anything to numb the pain of that PTSD exactly. because they didn't have access to legal cannabis. Do you think that the Veterans Affairs, I mean, you know, this week, and we're recording this on December 11th, you know, the, 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 the government said no 
to veterans having um, access to mortgage loans if they have uh, been found to be using cannabis. What's going to happen? I mean, how, how does this change? Well, it only changes, you know, the regulatory process is, is, is so slow and frustrating. I think the only way it can really change is with statutory uh, basis. And that's why what Congress does is so important. The, the VA didn't have to do that. And I'm very disappointed that they took that step. And, you know, we've seen similar actions on the part of FDA and agriculture and DEA. So, you know, we've had a regulatory morass for a long period of time that needs to be addressed statutorily so that they're forced to comply. But uh, uh, hopefully we can see more enlightened regulators as well who can press the envelope in many of these areas and don't need statute. It's going to be both, but statute could really make a permanent difference. I look at what the, the FDA is doing with psilocybin and MDMA, right? The the trials right. that they are allowing, which are both Schedule One drugs, right? right? And they have determined that both have medicinal value and you see stage three tests for MDMA for use in PTSD, you see stage 2B um, testing for psilocybin for uh, general depression and then major drug de resistant depression. Why are they not doing the same thing with cannabis? What is what is fundamentally different about those molecules than THC, THCA and CBD? There, I, there is no difference, and there really ought to be some sort of a universal application. If you do it in one area, you ought to be able to do it in another. And, and unfortunately, we just don't see that. I think what it is, to a certain extent, is, is the uh, siloization of these bureaucracies, that one doesn't know what the other is doing most of the time. The lack of real coordination and the real siloization has created these, these tubular approaches to regulation that just don't make sense. Are you getting calls from your former colleagues um, either for advice or for what the hell are you doing? Or, I mean, you don't have to name names if you want no, to name No, no, name, name, cool, names, but name like, names. Bob Torricelli know. calling you up going, Tom, what are you doing? <laughs> no, you know, I, I do get, I do have, I've had conversations with my colleagues, my former colleagues, and uh, there's a curiosity. They yeah. want to, you know, they're, 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 they're in learning mode and they're in engagement mode. They're trying to better understand what the new lay of the land looks like and where their priorities ought to lie. So there's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of interest. Um, still so a lot of <laughs> information gathering. And, yeah. and uh, I think they're reticent so far to commit, but they're certainly trying to better understand. Do you think if you are in the Senate now, you would be as vocal a proponent, or do you think that would be really politically tough for you? No, I don't think so. As I say, the voters have already made clear where they stand. I think the, the politicians are just behind where the voters are for the most part. You know, they're, they're, Why? Well, I think in part, uh, as, as in my own experience, a lot of the politicians were brought up with that same... Uh, mentality that I was, you know, that that uh, the paradigms no. around the war on drugs and just say no, and you know, and all the well-informed, uh, uh, you know, sort of sense about how we ought to approach things is now being challenged, and and I think that 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 evolution, that education is a slow evolution and one that will take time. But politicians are cautious by nature, oftentimes. They say that only the paranoid survive in politics. and, and uh, because they really are out paranoia. to get you. Exactly. Um, 
you know, you look at the way that politics is covered by the media today. You know, it is much more um, speculative. Got the word I'm looking for. It's like hyperbolic, off the charts. Um, you know, do you think that that is a function of the electorate? Is that a function of the advertisers? Is that a function of the politicians? And what role is that playing in slowing the cannabis market? Well, I think it's certainly confusing the cannabis market, and I, I think I think social media and cable news and everything around the technological revolution we've seen with podcasts uh, are a reflection of the complexity now in communication. It's far more complex. You know, in, in my day, we listened to Walter Cronkite and, uh, and Huntley and Brinkley. And, you know, now you've got this. They were. And, and because we got our news from similar sources, we all had sort of a collective understanding. Today you can get your news from just about any kind of source, and truth is just an option. And so because truth is just an option, and because, as you say, Louis, the hyperbolic nature of so much of the news casting uh, is, is so much more confrontational, I, I think it's much harder for politicians and listeners to discern truth from fiction and try to figure out and sort out for themselves what to believe. So this is your first time at MJ Biz. It is. Is that right? What are you? What What do you think is going to happen? What are you looking for? Like what are you, What are you looking forward to? You're looking forward to at this convention. Yeah. yeah. Or well, you know what I what I'm looking forward to is really just the just the whole notion that 35,000 people are coming together, <laughs> probably with a lot of different views about how these things ought to proceed with vendors now numbering over 1300 and and I think it's just it's just such there's there's excitement there's energy there's a, a real uh, sort of a, 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 a newfound enthusiasm that uh, that is contagious so I think you're gonna see a lot of people walking away from this even more energized and excited about the future than they were before they came I would I would be remiss if I didn't ask some some questions about 2020 and the election and the Democratic primary and you know there are still about 10 12 candidates in the primary field if you look at them I'm not saying who you want but who do you think is going to win the primary who's going to win the Democratic nomination and why well just in full disclosure Lewis I've, I've been a supporter of Joe Biden's uh, he and I worked together for 30 years and we had a great great friendship and relationship and so it wasn't a difficult choice for me to make even though there are many other qualified people you know and I wish I could give you a definitive answer I I think Joe as the front runner is still in a position to win the nomination but I would say that I think this is as volatile a year politically as I've seen in a long time I don't know that there's any real contender who can be confident that they're going to pull this out themselves. You know, it could easily go to Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or Pete Buttigieg, maybe even somebody else we don't know yet. But I think that it's as fluid and as uh, unpredictable at this point in the, in the cycle as, as I've seen in a long, long time. My, my personal belief is I think that I'm in favor of a bloody 
bruising primary because somebody who comes out of that will be able to stand up to Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump himself ran through 16 of the institutional Republicans and just kicked the crap out of them. And he was then able to stand up. And even though he lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton and had, you know, he is the president. And I think that the same thing will happen, hopefully, that whoever comes through this primary will be battle-tested and be able to stand up to Donald Trump, take a punch and punch back. Well, I share that observation. I I really think it's important that we have as tough a candidate because it's going to take somebody who is uh, equally as good on on the stump and side by side. And uh, that only comes with experience. And mm-hmm. experience comes with a rough and tumble primary schedule. You mm-hmm. know, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, for that matter, uh, were, were the beneficiaries yeah. of that rough and tumble schedule. Hil- Hillary but, ran against Martin O'Malley and Bernie. I mean, it wasn't like she had to run through. But uh, historically. Well, historically, she, had yes. her, she ran oh, no, in 2008. Yeah, totally. yeah. Yes, yeah. totally. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, so, Senator, we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, uh, you know, Clever Leaves is an amazing company, uh, and we're really, really pleased that somebody of your stature has come out um, and not has evolved um, like others who have gotten into the space, but, you know, has really come forward and, and is really embracing cannabis as a medical solution um, and the, the industry writ large. And we can't thank you enough for, one, giving us the time, and two, lending your gravitas to the industry. Oh, that's very kind, Lewis. Thank you. Thank you both for being such strong advocates, and I wish you all the best as you continue to work. We appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. A special thanks to former U.S. Senator Tom Daschle, uh, his role with Northern Swan and Clever Leaves is really rather amazing. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening. You giving us your time is something that none of us here at the Green Rush take for granted. It is the only thing that you have that is completely limited. And every minute that you spend with us is a minute that you could be spending elsewhere. So thank you so much. Um, if you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. You can drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We're always looking for guest ideas, for questions that you'd like us to ask, whatever you need. And please don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take.